Once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. Consume you it will. You don't know the power of the dark side. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. In a dark place we find ourselves and a little more knowledge lights our way. Now, I hope that most of you here today realize that I am not quoting the Bible there, okay? <laughs> Those are quotes from Star Wars, specifically three quotes from Yoda. Oh, I heard an amen there on the second round. Nice. Uh, three quotes from Yoda and one from Darth Vader. Even in our pop culture uh, here today, we talk in terms of light versus dark, good versus evil. We, and we also know that while we know we're not supposed to be on the dark side, we know that it has its appeal, right? There are reasons that people would choose to be on the dark side, to, to live uh, on the side of evil. Well, maybe science fiction isn't your, your thing here today. Maybe you're not a pop culture nerd like a lot of us here today. Maybe Westerns, maybe that's your thing. You grew up in the, the era of the great cowboy Western movie, John Wayne and all the others. Well, what's one of the stereotypes from, our, from American Westerns, right? The good guys, they wear the what? Light hats, right? White hats, light hats. And the bad guys, we know them really conveniently because they wear the dark hats, right? Um, good versus evil. And even in more sophisticated literature where we like to have our villains have at least some sympathetic characteristics or maybe at least have their reasons for why they've chosen to live the way they do. And we like our heroes to be a little bit flawed, maybe have their own insecurities or have their own uh, conflicts. We still want some element of good versus evil, right? We want some light versus dark in our stories. Otherwise, if we don't know who to cheer for, we don't really care about anybody, it's kind of emotionally unsatisfying, even though it might be a really artsy uh, film. That's part of, probably part of the reason that comic book movies are such blockbusters today. I mean, it's hard to have a comic book movie without good versus evil, right, Captain America? I see you there on the second row. Um, well, we see this concept of good versus evil, light versus dark, all throughout the scripture. Uh, uh, and you might say that there's two ways to live. There's actually a really good gospel tract called Two Ways to Live. But that whole concept, two ways to live our lives, are throughout the scriptures. One example from the Old Testament, Psalm 1. You don't have to turn there. Uh, I'll go ahead and read some of these verses here. But the first psalm in the, in the book of Psalms says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This psalm is saying that the righteous person, the person who's walking in the light, who's blessed, doesn't pay attention to the counsel of the wicked. They don't walk in that kind of a lifestyle, but rather they think about the truth that God has given us in his word, and they live according to it. Well, what's the result of that? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in his season. His leaf does not wither, and all that he does... He prospers. He's like a tree. He's something steady, long-lasting, who provides fruit, benefit to others. Well, what are the wicked like? The wicked are not so, but they're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Wicked people, rather than sticking around and having, uh, contributing to something that matters and benefits others, they're like the chaff. They're like that worthless part of the grain that's good for nothing. There's no nutritional value there. It's just good for nothing to be blown away. It's temporary. Nothing permanent, nothing long-lasting. Two ways to live. This is a good example from the Old Testament. You could, you could do a study throughout the Bible and seeing these, the, these concepts. According to scriptures, and especially today's passage, there are two ways to live. There's walking in the light and there is walking in darkness. And it's incredibly important 
for us to determine which of these uh, ways we're walking, which path we're on in our life. Our eternal destiny, whether we go to heaven or whether we go to hell, is determined by which of these paths we're walking, which manner in which we walk. It's important to know the difference between light and dark, and the passage we're going to look at today helps us understand what the light lifestyle looks like. If you want to, uh, I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. This isn't the Gospel of John. This is John's first letter. Basically, you flip to Revelation and then flip back a little bit to the left. You'll find 1 John. Uh, if, if you want to use one of the Bibles there in the chair racks, it's on page 707. 707. I think you'll just be helped. I'm going to refer to this passage a lot, a lot of the verses in this passage, so it might be just helpful to have that opened in front of you. So in order to give you plenty of time to turn to 1 John chapter 1, we're going to recap the sermon series that we're in right now. So whenever Kyle is out of town or whenever he shares his pulpit with me, I've been going through the book of 1 John, and we're calling this series Basics for Believers. There's a lot of basic truths of the Christian life in this little letter, um, and there's also very simple language. But that can be deceiving because that simple language often uh, has very profound truths. And in our overview sermon of the whole book, we looked at how you can look at this book as like three tests, three like scientific tests, testing for the three basic elements of true Christianity, of the true Christian life. First, you have truth. There are certain things that you must believe in order to be a Christian. And if you're part of a ministry or a church, there are certain things that that ministry or church must profess to believe in order for that to really truly be a Christian ministry or Christian church. There's light. You can think of light as living out that truth or morality, certain behaviors that are or are not acceptable that should characterize a true Christian or true Christianity. And then there's love. What, who, or how we love shows whether or not we truly are a Christian. Well, and then last time we uh, looked at this book, we looked at the first four verses of 1 John, and in that, ser- that sermon was really all about truth. Certain things that we need to believe about who Jesus is, that he's both God and that he is both man, and truths about what he offers us, life, fellowship, and joy. Today, uh, the next six verses that we're going to look at today, our passage is all about light. Light. So uh, now that I've given you plenty of time to to turn to 1 John uh, chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 5 through 10 once again. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a, sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The title of my sermon today is What the Light Lifestyle Looks Like. What the Light Lifestyle Looks Like. Notice I say lifestyle. That's on purpose. We're talking about the consistent pattern of our lives. How we can know if we're living the light lifestyle, uh, what it looks like. And we have really two main points here today if you're a note taker. What the light lifestyle looks like and what it doesn't look like. So first of all, what the light lifestyle looks like. And if you're, again, if you're an obsessive note taker, you might consider that subpoint A. First of all, it looks like God himself. God himself. Look at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The Apostle John is saying that a good way to sum up This message, this message that he got directly from Jesus Christ himself and that he is sharing with you, 
is that God is light. God is so perfectly of the light that there's absolutely no room for darkness in him whatsoever. Uh, as I was studying this passage, uh, I was really helped by looking at some of the writings of Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher from the 20th century. Um, and he made this point that when we're thinking about life and truth, we often want to start by looking within, looking at our own emotions, looking at our own feelings and desires, or maybe we consult the experts of our age, what they have to say, or whatever is popularly believed in the culture around us. And Martin Lloyd-Jones encourages us, start with God. Rather than starting with everything around you and what your own heart is telling you, start with God. God is real. He has revealed himself in the scripture. And as we're trying to make sense of life and what's going on in our lives, we need to start with God. And that's the, Martin Lloyd-Jones tells us it's no secret that this passage begins with this summary of who God is, that he's light. Well, what does it mean that God is light? Well, if you do a quick study throughout all of the scriptures, there's many different things that can be meant by associating God with light. Often his glory, his perfection, his strength, his awesomeness, and not the watered-down modern concept of awesome, but like the original sense that you looking, looking at God produces awe in us. These are all aspects of God that are characterized as light. But there's really two, two main uh, truths here coming across through the image of light. One is truth. God knows all truth, and he only speaks the truth. Paul says, God who cannot lie. We can be certain that God is always truthful. Um, he is the source of real truth. But also, uh, he is morally pure. His, his, the image of his light also talks about his moral holiness. Remember in the book of Isaiah where the cherubim, the angels that constantly in his presence, what are they saying repeatedly? Holy, holy, holy. That's an ancient Hebrew way of saying he is the holiest. There is no one holier than God. No one more morally perfect. No one as uh, un unapproachable as God himself. And that's one of the big ideas there. So what does it look like if we're going to live the light lifestyle after the pattern of God? What does that look like for us human beings? Well, it looks like truth and it looks like moral purity. It looks like believing the truth, what God has said, and then living according to that truth or our morality. But what does morality look like? You know, we live in a postmodern society, which is a fancy way of saying we believe in moral relativism, that people don't want to have hard and fast rules about what is right and what is wrong. You often hear people talk about, well, that might be true for you, but this is my truth. Or, oh, you can't really say that certain things are wrong in and of themselves. That's, it's in the culture around us. It's in our entertainment. It's in our philosophy. Uh, it's, all, it's the air we breathe, really, in a lot of ways. How, in that kind of a confused culture, are we supposed to know what morality, what true goodness looks like? Well, the Bible helps us here. And in fact, there's several places in the scripture where God gives us a list of virtues, of things that characterize people who are walking in the light. And as I was studying this, Kevin DeYoung's book, The Hole in Our Holiness, was really helpful. Um, and there's a couple chapters where he actually just lists some of these lists that we find in, in the Bible. And I'm sharing a few of you a uh, few of them with you here today. You know how Kyle often likes to express his love for you by giving you a chart? Well, today I'm showing my love for you all by bombarding you with various lists. So here we go. Uh, uh, buckle your seatbelt, here we go. Uh, first is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. This is also known as the love uh, passage. It's often read at weddings, but there are some basic truths here about morality here. Look at these lists of virtues. Loving, patient, kind, not envious, not boastful, nor arrogant, nor rude, not selfish, not irritable, not resentful, no joy in wrongdoing, rejoices in the truth, bears all thing, belie things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Or look at the, the famous passage on the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Or look at 2 Peter 1, 5-7. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Other passages are Romans 12, 9 through 12, Colossians 3, 12 through 15. You get the idea. Uh, notice that so many of these character qualities, these aren't things that you can necessarily fake. They're on the inside. There are character qualities that start on the inside, and if they're genuine, they will produce a different lifestyle on the outside. We could look at more. There are many other places in the Bible that helps us understand what true morality looks like. You think of the Ten Commandments, both the positive commands and the negative commands. Well, do these lists make you a little nervous? Does it, the idea of measuring up to God's standards sound a little bit intimidating? It should. Let me tell you, it should. God's standard is perfection. You know, a lot of folks have this misconception that like, hey, well, what does it take to please God? How do I know if I'm a Christian or I'm going to heaven? And a lot of people believe, well, you just do the best you can, right? That's all that anyone could ever ask for. You have good intentions or you hope maybe your good outweighs your bad works. A lot of folks either in other religions or in Christianity think that if they do enough good works, it'll make up for all the bad things that they've done. Or just being a nice person. Well, if you look throughout the scriptures, you realize that God's standard is perfection. If you've fallen short of his standard, you're in trouble. Uh, the book of James, it says that if you offend in one point, you are guilty of all. Have you been perfect in each of these areas? I know I haven't. Well, what hope can any of us have that we could possibly be people who walk in the light? Well, fortunately, the light lifestyle doesn't just look like God himself. It also looks like cleansing and forgiveness. So the light lifestyle looks like God himself, and it also looks like cleansing and forgiveness. Look at verses 7 and 9 here. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleansing and forgiveness. Uh, you know, we all know what cleansing is, right? Something is dirty, it's stained, and you do something to it to remove that stain, to remove that dirt so that it is clean. As I was thinking about this, uh, a scene from a movie popped into my head. Some of you ever seen the movie The Village? One of those M. Night Shyamalan uh, movies with the twist at the end? I'll try not to spoil it for you. But there's this scene where the heroine of the story, that's a female hero for those of you who are thinking I'm talking about a hardcore drug or something. The, the female hero of the movie is on a quest in order to save her true love. And, and in order to do that, she needs to go through this woods, and she believes that there are these uh, evil creatures, monsters, that are going to get her in that woods unless she wears a, a special color, the color yellow. Well, she ends up falling into a pit, a muddy pit, and her, she's just covered from head to toe in mud. And she's desperate. She, she feels like there's something after her, and she's trying to remove the mud with just her bare, dirty hands. And, of course, she gets the big clumps of mud off, but she's just making the stain even worse by trying to clean herself with just her hands. That futility of her trying to clean her, her garments with just her hands, it reminds me of our efforts to try to clean up our own lives. Sure, we might be able, through our own willpower, through our own moral efforts, get rid of some of the worst habits and get some of the, rid of some of the, the worst outward sins in our lives, but we can't get rid of the stain. There's, a, there's an old hymn that says, Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Well, also we see the concept of, uh, of forgiveness. We know what forgiveness is, right? We deserve punishment, but we get mercy instead. That punishment is withheld. Or even more personally, we know what it's like to have a strained relationship, right? 
where we need forgiveness or someone needs forgiveness. Uh, some people have wronged each other or one person's more in the wrong than the other and they go to each other, they, they, they lay it all out there and they ask for forgiveness and they seek to restore that broken relationship. We know what forgiveness is, cleansing and forgiveness. Well, how is cleansing and forgiveness possible? The Bible says that God is a perfect judge. He's holy. He cannot tolerate any sin whatsoever. How can any of us have cleansing or forgiveness? And the answer we see in this passage there in verse 7 is the blood. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, a lot of people are, are uh, either uh, disgusted or ashamed by all the mentions of blood in the Bible. They think it's gross or primitive or cruel or unnecessary. Think of how many passages in the Bible talk about the blood of Christ. How many hymns and even modern worship songs talk about the blood of Christ. What's the deal with that? Are Christians just morbid people? Is it like some sort of magic spell? Uh, what, there's that great hymn. I even teach this uh, song to the kids Wednesday nights. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Blood. Well, what's the significance of blood? Um, the, the, the blood in the death of Christ signifies the kind of death that he was dying. It wasn't just some tragic martyrdom. It wasn't an accident. The death of Christ on the cross was a sacrifice. That's the significance of the shedding of blood. From the very beginning of, uh, after the mankind fell, early on even before the law, human beings somehow knew that shedding the blood of an animal and offering that as a sacrifice was an appropriate way to show mourning for their sin and to approach a holy God. And then when Mo, uh, the law was given to Moses, it, there was a sacrificial system set up of daily and yearly sacrifices to show that, that a, a sacrifice was necessary to make up for the sins of the people. These were all pictures of the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was, was a sacrifice. And if you read the book of Hebrews, he was that perfect sacrifice. He was a substitute. That's what a sacrifice is. It is taking the place of the person who has sin. Jesus Christ was that substitute. He paid the penalty on that cross that you and I are unable to pay our own, uh, on our own. So the significance of the blood is that it was a sacrifice, and a sacrifice is a substitute. So that's how forgiveness and cleansing are possible, that Christ died on the cross for our sins. But how do we know that we've been cleansed? We know from the scriptures that not everyone is cleansed. Not everyone is going to go to heaven. Not everyone has experienced this forgiveness. How do we know if we've been cleansed, if we've forgiven, been forgiven? Well, uh, that's, our next point answers that question. So the light lifestyle looks like God himself. It looks like cleansing and forgiveness. And it looks like confession. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That Greek word there that, that we translate confess literally means to say the same as. To say the same as. We're saying the same thing about our sin that God says about it. Now let me have a caution here. For those of you who maybe grew up in various Christian denominations or other religious traditions, when I say confession, you might be thinking of a specific ritual, right? Where you go into a dark little room and you talk to a priest, you, give, you, you say all the sins that you've done in the last period of time, and then that priest uh, tells you to pray some prayers or do some acts of penance, and then he pronounces that you are forgiven or will be forgiven. Let me suggest to you that if you study the scriptures, that is not the biblical concept of confession. Biblical confession is simply saying the same thing about our sin that God says about it. It's acknowledging our sin, admitting it. It's, the opposite would be denying our sin or excusing our sin, ignoring our sin, or trying to hide, cover our sin. Now, confession belongs primarily to God. 
Uh, that's why no priest, no human being can offer you the kind of forgiveness that you really need. Forgiveness with God. Only God can do that. Uh, primarily to God. We agree with God about our sinfulness and our sinful state and our sinful actions. But confession can uh, happen with other people too. So, you know, if I wrong you, I, I say something inappropriate to you, I mistreat you, I cheat you in some way, it's entirely appropriate for me to go to you and confess that to you, to admit to you, hey, I regret those words I said to you, or I, I, I regret what I did to you. I'm confessing that that was wrong. That's important. That's a part of uh, seeking forgiveness. Um, but also, there's another way we can confess our sins to others. Uh, the Bible encourages us all to confess our sins one to another, and this is the idea of accountability. It can be so helpful for us as we're seeking to live the Christian life to, confine, to find a, another Christian who we trust, that we can share our struggles with. Hey, I'm struggling with this sin. Would you pray for me? Would you maybe hold me accountable? Ask me how I'm doing? Pray for me? Give me advice? Those are our concepts. Now, there's also uh, two different... Um, context of accountability, uh, excuse me, of, of confession. There's that ultimate confession, uh, you know, where, where our sins are saved. In order to, to have our sins forgiven and to know that we have a home in heaven, we must believe in Christ and we must repent of our sins, turn from our sins. And that involves confession. There needs to be that one, at least one point in our lives where we admit, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. That is necessary in order for us to have our sins forgiven. And if we do that, uh, even though we're going to struggle with sin in our life, uh, we can have that assurance of that total forgiveness that we've been justified and that we have a home in heaven. But all of you in here who are Christians and you know what it's like to live the Christian life, you also know that we have an ongoing need for cleansing and forgiveness. Not because our eternal destiny is in doubt, but because we need to restore that relationship. And this is why there's a general pattern uh, that we're saying. This is actually what this passage is talking about. It's talking about ongoing cleansing and, and uh, forgiveness. Although it's appropriate that we think about that ultimate forgiveness and cleansing because that's necessary if we're ever going to have this continual forgiveness and cleansing. So this kind of cleansing restores our relationship with God. You know, we've all been kids, right? And we've d disobeyed our parents. We've done something wrong. You know, we might have been punished and, and, and uh, then restored. We've asked forgiveness, restored to the favor of our parents. But we were never, like, n no longer our, our parents' children. Our status as child never changed. That's what it's like once we become believers, when we become children of God. Our status with, with Christ is no longer in doubt, but we often need to restore that fellowship, uh, that relationship through cleansing and forgiveness. And because of the blood of Christ, his sacrifice, we can be assured of that cleansing. Confession is not denying or minimizing or excusing our sin. And we'll talk more about that in our next point. But let me be clear. We can't be good enough to earn forgiveness and cleansing. Salvation, the Bible says, is by grace alone through faith alone. But once we have experienced forgiveness and cleansing, we should want to walk in the light in order to please our Savior. If we have no desire to live in the light, it could be strong evidence that we've never truly believed in Christ, that we're not truly Christians. So we've seen what the light lifestyle looks like. Now we're going to look at what the light lifestyle does not look like. And first of all, it looks like darkness. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, what's darkness? Pretty simple, right? It's the opposite of the light. So everything we've talked about as far as light, truth, and, and moral purity, it's the opposite of that. It's, it's sin. It's ignorance of the truth. It's falsehood. Um, it's the opposite of God's character. Now, let me be clear. Satan is not the equal of God. Satan was created by God. Um, he is not God's equal. He has no chance of victory. But... Satan is a good example of the opposite of God's character. And what does the Bible say about Satan? He's a liar. He's, a, he's deceitful. He's dishonest. 
He's a rebel. And we Americans often think of rebellion in a good light, right? Well, it depends on what you're rebelling from. If you're rebelling from injustice and oppression, well, that might be good rebellion. If you're rebelling from God and what he has revealed, then that is a sinful kind of rebellion. And Satan is a rebel. He's spiteful. He knows he has no chance of winning, but he just delights in, in harming those whom God loves. He's unjust and he tempts people to sin. So if light means the truth and moral purity, then darkness is falsehood and moral impurity. Um, we're often... In, tempted to deny the truth, right? Uh, and that's part of temptation. Remember what the serpent said to Eve in the Garden of Eden? Hath God said? Did God really say that? He was trying to, to get people to doubt what God had said and the truth that he had, he had said. It's living a moral lifestyle, uh, breaking the moral commands of Scripture. And again, in our moral relativistic uh, culture, it's often hard to understand what is really wrong. Is anything really wrong? Or does it all just depend on um, our subjective feelings? Well, there's some more lists. So here's a few more lists for you. Mark 7, 21 through 22 has some lists of sins or what uh, things that would characterize the uh, living in darkness. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Romans 1, 24 through 31. Impurity, Homosexual relations. We had a, you know, there's a Christian artist who got kind of put on the hot seat and asked point blank, is homosexuality wrong? Um, the Bible clearly says it is. Now, people can overreact the other uh, extreme and, and, and talk about homosexuality being wrong in such a way that's unloving and even hateful, and that itself is sin. God commands us to show love to all people, regardless of whatever sin they might be struggling with. Homosexual relations. All manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, hatred of God, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Also, 1 Timothy 1, 9-10. Unholy, profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers, murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers. So this would have applied to people uh, back in the, the high days of, of the slave trade who either enslaved people or treated people like they were property. And in a modern context, this applies to human trafficking and many of the people who operate in the uh, sexually oriented uh, industry in our own modern day, enslavers, liars, perjurers, people who abuse the justice system by lying under oath, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Other lists can be found in Romans 13.13. 13. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, Galatians 5, 19 through 20, Colossians 3, 5 through 9, and Revelation 21, 8. If you want uh, some other lists to help, see, help yourself see what is condemned as sin. And let me draw a point that one of these lists here that I referenced, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 9 through 10, the verse right after that. This is one of those things where if you look at that list, you can be discouraged. Hey, I've, I've given in to these sins before. That in, in the past, my life was characterized by some of these sins. Here's a word of hope for you. Verse 11, Paul says to the, to the Corinthian church, and such were some of you. Some people that he was speaking to who were believers, who had been forgiven, were once characterized by these lifestyles. Cleansing and forgiveness is possible through the blood of Christ. And notice some of the categories of these sins. You have sexual sins, you have relational sins, sins of violence, uh, th sins of theft and deceitful sins, and sins of the heart and mind. Regardless of whether anyone sees them on the outside, they're sins of the heart uh, and of the mind. If we're being honest, we must admit that all of us have failed in, in one way or another in one of these lists. 
If we're believers, uh, we've experienced cleansing and forgiveness, uh, like we talked about already. We can, we can know that because of the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus as the substitute for sinners, that we, through confession we can be forgiven and be cleansed from our many sins. And so this is why we're talking about a lifestyle. Um, all of us have fallen short and we all struggle with sin. But is the pattern of your life one of these lists? Do you have any desire when you do sin to come back to seek forgiveness? Or are you more than content to live a lifestyle of darkness as long as maybe you don't get caught or embarrassed too much or you know, nobody finds out you think you're fine? Um, if you can live in the, the, the darkness, uh, you do not have fellowship with the Lord. That's what this verse is assuring us. Well, walking in the darkness, we know that it's sin. It's living a sinful lifestyle, but it's even more deceptive and um, tricky than that. Not only does living in darkness look like sin, it also many times looks like the denial of sin. You know, John was writing this letter almost 2,000 years ago, but it, it sounds like in many ways he could be talking about our own society today. Uh, some of you have, have studied a little bit about some of the psychology about stages of grief and dealing with grief. Some of you are probably familiar with the, what is it, the seven stages of grief that all, people often go through as they're dealing with a traumatic event or a tragedy. And one of those stages is often called denial. Or we might say that someone is in a state of denial. They don't want to deal with the, the bad thing that's happened to them, and so they just pretend that it hasn't happened or that there's, there's no problem there. Well, many of us, uh, many people in the world today, and hopefully uh, no one in this room, but it's possible, could be suffering from sin denial, the denial of sin. And based on this passage, we see three common ways that people try to deny sin. First of all, some people might try to deny the effects of sin. The, the results of sin, specifically in our relationship to God. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. These people might or might not acknowledge that sin exists, but they don't believe that their actions or their sin could possibly interfere with their relationship with God. They're like, oh yeah, I'm cool with God. I mean, God forgives. That's just what he does, right? He's that nice grandpa upstairs that, you know, is just so grateful if I pay any heed to him at, at all. Or maybe you're just thinking, hey, well, the Bible says God's a God of love, so I don't think he could ever um, punish anyone. There's actually a famous preacher uh, who was very popular. He wrote a book called Love Wins, where he basically argues that point, that because the Bible says God is loving, he can't punish. So it doesn't really matter how you live your life or what you believe. And there's probably not, it's probably not an accident that he's known as Oprah's favorite preacher. Uh, but let me tell you from the scriptures, that is not uh, what it means by God is love. Spoiler alert, Lord willing, once we get to 1 John chapter 4, we're going to see what it does mean that God is love. Um, it means that God provided Christ. Uh, that is how he showed his love. But what's the verdict on this uh, belief that we can deny the effects of our sin? It's that we lie. We're lying. Uh, if we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Some people deny the effects of sin. Another thing uh, people deny is that we have sin nature. They deny sin nature. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Some people don't want to believe that we as humans have a, have a tendency to sin, that we have a sinful nature. They want to believe that man is inherently good, but, you know, we have bad societal influences or a bad environment, and that's why we might not live up to that inherent goodness. But... Uh, that's very popular in pop psychology or even modern philosophers. Um, you know, none of us, you know, we all want to have a healthy self-esteem, right? None of us likes to think of ourselves as inherently wrong, as having a problem. Uh, but if we believe this, what is the verdict here? We're self-deceived. We're giving into self-deception. We deceive ourselves. 
Another way people try to deny sin is that they deny sinful actions. They deny that certain things even are sin. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Uh, This is very common today. People want to call good evil and evil good. Uh, They want to say, oh, well, that's just outdated. All that stuff about sexual morality in the Bible or this or that thing, oh, that no longer applies today. And we want to pick and choose morality. Most of us still want to feel like a good person, so we try to create our own morality in a way that allows us to feel like a good person, but yet also doesn't inconvenience the way we want to live our lives. And, of course, what's the verdict on this? We're basically calling God a liar. God repeatedly has said certain things are right, certain things are wrong. And he also says that all of us have sinned. So if you say that you've never done a sinful act, you're lying. The Bible here tells us, and and worse than that, you're basically calling God a liar because he has both in the Old Testament and the New Testament clearly stated that all have sinned. Well, these six little verses teach us what the light lifestyle looks like and what walking in darkness looks like. The light looks like God in both his truth and in his moral purity. And because all of us are are imperfect, it also looks like cleansing and forgiveness, which is possible because of the blood of Christ, his sacrifice on the cross. And we can have this cleansing because of confession. That's also what the light lifestyle looks like. Well, darkness, it looks like sin. It looks like lies and moral wrongdoing. It also looks like the denial of sin, whether it's denial that certain actions are sinful, the denial that we have a sinful nature and we need a savior, or the the denial that our sin affects our relationship with God, with a holy God. Well, how do we apply this passage to our life? Uh, Let me start by speaking a word of comfort to those of you believers here who sometimes struggle with your assurance of salvation. You wonder if you've truly been saved, whether maybe you prayed the right prayer or you meant it enough. Let me give you encouragement. Uh, As we'll see in 1 John chapter 5, uh, later on, Lord willing, in this series, the Bible says you can know. These are written that you might know that you have eternal life. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ uh, and not on your own good works and you are seeking to turn from your sins, you can have the assurance that Christ died for your sins, that you have been cleansed and forgiven. But let me give a word of caution for those of you who think that you're Christians but aren't. You're living the, the, the dark lifestyle. You're walking in darkness. Uh, some, of this, some of you in this room think you're a Christian but you're not. Maybe you're trusting in some of these false hopes like that you prayed a prayer so therefore you're good. Some of you might think that, oh, well, I'm an American. I grew up in America, and, you know, of course, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian because I'm an American. Well, I'm as patriotic as they come, but trust me, uh, you being an American does not guarantee you yourself a place in heaven. You might say, well, I grew up in church, going to church, or I go to church now. Um, many of you uh, are, are trusting in one of these false notions. We can only have forgiveness by trusting in Christ. Uh, some of you don't like to live like a Christian. You don't really believe that it matters how you live your lives. Be careful. Uh, it is, there's a very good cause to believe that you are not trusting in Christ. Uh, and your, current, your concern shouldn't be whether uh, re- you should restore or maintain your relationship with God. You have no relationship with God. But you can. If you trust Christ today, you can have that relationship with God. And you can begin to, to walk in the light and live the light lifestyle. If you're confused about that, please talk to me, talk to one of our church members. We'd love to show, with, show you from the scriptures how you can know your sins are forgiven. Are you tempted to deny sin in one of the many ways we've talked about? Maybe because you want to fit in in modern society or because you just don't want to grapple with something in your life you know is wrong. Have you ever confessed your sin to God? Was there ever a time where you admitted to God, I'm a sinner, Lord. I haven't met your standard and I'm in trouble. I need help. And either specifically these are areas that I know are wrong or I just know that I'm a sinner. Have you ever acknowledged that to God? 
If you, if you want your sins to be forgiven, you must acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of, of a Savior. Are you constantly making it a habit, those of you who are believers, of confessing your sins to God? That, that should be a part of your, your daily prayer life, is confessing your sins to God. Either your sinful status or the, sin, or the specific sins uh, in your life that God brings to your attention. Have you ever confessed your sins to others? This can be really hard. Um, many of you know how hard it can be to offer an apology to someone. Uh, there have been times in my life where I know I, I did something wrong to somebody and it was just, it was really hard to bring myself to apologize to them. But that's what confession is, admitting what, when you've done wrong. Um, and that's important to restoring relationships, human relationships. It's also a wonderful way to have accountability. Have you ever thought as you're fighting your sin of doing it as a team effort with other Christians? Um, and this is why we offer so many um, uh, opportunities for community and accountability here. Um, I encourage you, if you're not in a small group, consider going to one of our many small groups and getting to know some people and sharing your struggles with them. Or seek out one-on-one -on -one discipleship. There's folks in this congregation who've been through some really difficult uh, things, who've had real victory over sin, and they, can, they would love to be a help to you. Are you seeking to walk in the light? Are you living the light lifestyle? Does it even matter to you? And... How are you fighting that, uh, that, that battle against your sin? How are you seeking to live in the light? You know, one of the best ways to live the light lifestyle is to continually gaze at the light of God. Hopefully, those, uh, those of you in this room are trying to make it a regular habit uh, to read the scriptures for yourself. And there's many good reasons to do that, because God commands it, because it helps us know the truth, uh, because it can give us encouragement for our day and help us know what is right and what is wrong. Well, let me suggest to you one of the best reasons to read God's word for yourself is to just behold the glory of God, to know more about who God is. And here's the amazing thing. Paul talks about this. As we continually gaze at the glory of God, specifically Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit uses that to change us more and more into that same image, the more we gaze at Christ. So as you're seeking to fight your sin, it's good to have strategies for how you can avoid temptation and not give in to temptation and, and fight your sin with other people. But one of the best positive things you can do in fighting your sins is to saturate your mind with the glory of God. God is light. He is perfect, morally pure, and everything he says is true. And only those people who walk in the light can have peace with him. None of us does this perfectly, but because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin and shed his blood, we can be forgiven. We can be cleansed. And we access this cleansing by acknowledging or confessing our sins. Not denying our sins, but acknowledging, confessing our sinful nature, our sinful actions, and the fact that our sin separates us from a holy God. Are you walking in the light? Do you want to? Thank you for listening to this resource of Faith Family Church. We gather on Sundays at 495 Hugh Hunter Road in Oak Grove, Kentucky, and are a short drive from Fort Campbell and Hopkinsville, Kentucky, as well as Clarksville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website, myfaithfamilychurch.com.